It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I thank you. I thank you, and I am grateful that you're joining us on this day. With me in the studio today, I am especially excited because Julian Lawrence is back, but far more exciting than that, making his seasonal debut. It's the franchise, the pride of Huddersfield, the Prince of Darkness, Mr. Matt Hughes. Hold your applause, please. Later on, we'll be joined by Martin Ziegler. We'll be talking about how uh, the England women's team uh, sacked their manager last week. Or technically, they didn't. I suppose the Football Association did. Uh, Martin's been working for many, many months covering the Mark Sampson saga. Uh, But first, let's talk Premier League. And let's start at the King Power. Hughesy, put your phone down. Because we need to discuss Philippe Coutinho. Um, there was a conventional wisdom going around that Philippe Coutinho would be unhappy and grumpy at not leaving the club, that the fans would turn on him. Um, you never believed that, did you? Not really, and I think Liverpool have played it pretty well. They've reintroduced him slowly, and that the fans clearly have been supportive from the outset when he was on the bench for a couple of games, and... Now he's back in the starting lineup. He's back doing what he's always done since he signed for the club. Really, sort of being the the fulcrum of their attacking play and scoring, creating wonderful goals. Where does he fit? I mean, when everybody's fit and healthy, when 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 Mane comes back and you know stops his forays to to Asda holding other people's babies and stuff. <laughs> Tomorrow in the Champions League, for example. Yeah, how do how do you see the pieces fitting together? Uh, I think they have to build around Coutinho, really, don't they? They have to, have to get get Mane in and, and play them both, and he will miss out. Firmino or Salah, then? Or can you play the four together? Um, you're making a face. You're, you're, well, <laughs> You've yeah. obviously spent a long <laughs> time thinking about this. About four seconds. Um, it's funny, because I've been thinking about it since the, uh, <laughs> since the move was proposed, and I said, yeah, screw it, sell him. Big time. Get the money in. I mean, that was my take. But well, Salah's done so well that that, that school of thought is um, has a lot to it. I, I would, if I would have sold him for hundred and whatever million. Yeah. Okay, no, but now that he's here, so you 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 play him in midfield, or do you do you, you drop on the front you, floor? You drop Firmino possibly, and play Salah through the middle. Um, maybe he's done that before, but Salah Salah has to play. And Mane has to Mane play. Mane has to play in 
So Firmino does seem to be the odd, the odd one out a little bit. If you play all four, you're really asking a lot of your midfield, who uh, frankly are pretty vulnerable at the best of times. I mean, obviously, but that's okay because the centre backs are so obviously good. Obviously, Lalan has so. got to come back in as well, so they do have a lot of attacking options. Julian, Gab, what do you do? He can play the four together in certain certain matches. You know, probably at home, let's say against an opposition that you know is going to sit deep and is probably not going to attack much. But it's a huge risk to play the four together and just leave, I don't know, Henderson and Chan, Henderson and Wijnaldum, Henderson and whoever next to him, protecting that back four is already, like you said, very vulnerable. Even with three midfielders, so like holding one and two sort of number eight, they struggle defensively. So imagine with just two. It's a really tricky one. No one is never happy to be dropped, but of those four... Firmino for me is hard to drop because he makes everybody else around him play well a bit like what Benzema does at Real Madrid even if he's not the, the best goal scorer and the be- the most efficient and clinical and he makes everybody else play better and the fluidity when he plays is great so if you drop him and put Mane or Salah in that sort of fourth number nine position where Salah's played a little bit maybe like that Roma but yeah, yeah. yeah and again you know Mane plays on the left Coutinho plays mostly on the left If you if you just want to keep three it's tricky. And Nabi Keita comes into this for next season. And I know that, you know, you want to win in the present and not think about the future, but building your team around Coutinho when there's another guy coming next year who admittedly is more of a midfielder. I I, I just wonder, for, for a team that's so steeped in analytics and, and what else and, and forward planning and all this stuff, I don't know. I, I, I just still go with this idea that, man, if you could just have a, an even bigger water cash. Because you keep saying, oh, we have plenty of money. But to go and, and sign some actually meaningful, impactful defenders, uh, it just seems to me like a, like a, like a missed opportunity. But um, Coutinho scored a tremendous free kick, uh, set up a goal, but it was still kind of nervy. And part of that was because Mignolet gave up a stupid penalty, which he probably could have avoided, right, Hughie? He gave up a stupid penalty. He was at fault for the first goal as well, really, coming off his line. Um, obviously, he saved the penalty, so he got away with it. But wasn't there a foul? Was any fouled on the first goal? Okazaki oh, putting him. Yeah, in? that yeah. little I, sneaky I, I, Okazaki. Either way, he shouldn't be out there, should he? Well, I don't know if you're playing behind Matip and Lovren. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He <laughs> come for everything. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're a Liverpool fan or even a Liverpool player looking behind you, Mignolet makes you nervous, um, and I'm like you, surprised they haven't corrected those obvious issues over, over the summer. I'm going to um, find this and find that the proper uh, quote because we made a whole headline out of it. Uh, it's about Klopp and defending. The main thing for defending is tactical discipline, Klopp says. I don't know everything about football, but I could write a book in the next two hours about which space we have to defend, why, when, and where you have to be. When you have to step up, push up, all that stuff. I am responsible. I can't take a car and drive them out of the box. That's how it is. As long as not every player is doing it, we will work on it. When everyone is doing it, I will make sure we are doing it for the rest of our lives. I have faith not only in our offensive players, but in our squad. Julian, what is he saying? He's saying that he doesn't have many good defenders. No, I'm, I'm kidding. He he's said that, that he knows how to defend and the problem yeah, isn't tactical. But you knew that anyway. Aren't... I mean, you know, when people well, say, oh, he's not... You can't. You, you don't get to that level. On the, is he blaming his players here? Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah clearly, yeah. because he says they're not doing it all together. So they must work on things at training. Although a lot of people have said that that's not what they work on the most at training, and they clearly do more attacking 
preparation and, and drills and all of that than defensive ones. But clearly he's saying when we would all do it together, it would work, which means that right now he feels they're not all doing it together. And on the first chance, for example, which is something very, very little, but on the first Vardy chance, when he's still nil-nil, I think, and Okazaki ball to Vardy, you see Lovren, who's clearly behind Matip already. So they're not even on the same line, which is the basic that you learn even when you're a kid. Lovren then trying to play Vardy offside and make the step up to try to put him, but obviously covering him because he's already too deep anyway. When he watched the match again, he must at times think like, what's going on? Like, Why are they defended so badly? Because I do believe that you don't get to that level as a coach, you know, not knowing how to teach your player to defend well. That's, that, that makes no sense. So they must work on some things and, and the player's not delivering exactly what he wants. And maybe it's complicated. I don't know. Maybe he wants them to do things that they're not used to, maybe that they've never done before. And maybe the whole, the whole team has to do things that is maybe hard right. to comprehend for some of them. But clearly he's not happy with, you know, by saying not everybody's doing what he's asked them to do. He's, he's, he's been here two years, right? He's had time with, to work with these guys. He bought Clavon. He bought Matip. He decided to go into the season with three central defenders. I mean, we, we can joke about this, but if it's important about working and writing the book about defending and whatever, his fourth center back is Emre Shan, who plays a different position. Yeah, and inevitably, if he adapts to it, he'll still be adapting to it. Matip, of course, played a played a ton of uh, of central midfield earlier in his career too. These are his guys, and he's had time to work with them. I mean, I I, I love me some Klopp, but are we making too much excuses for him because too many because he's he has the glasses and he's funny and he speaks well? A little bit. I mean, every so often you get those. Like, um, if this was somebody the media didn't like, would we be having a bigger go at him? And more importantly, if it was someone Liverpool fans didn't like, over so often you get sent those sort of stats and comparing results and the Klopp-Rodgers comparison is very, very similar. I think is it is Klopp's now slightly worse than Rodgers' yeah. over the his entire tenure. Um, and he's right, they are his defenders, but if they're not doing as, as they're being told, why has he kept faith with them? That's the question. Why, why hasn't he? Because he has nobody else. And then why does he have nobody else? Because he didn't sign anybody else. But it's his responsibility is the point. Yeah. But he, say, he says it's all about discipline defending, which is true, which is, you know, you, there's things you have to do. How can you get to this level if you're Lovren or Matip or Clavan, whoever, and not be disciplined, not, not knowing that you have to be on the same line than your partner at centre-half, for example? But, but Lo- Lovren's an age-old thing, though. I mean, that goes back to his time in, in, in France. Some yeah, people yeah, thought yeah. he was soft and, like, a little too pretty on the ball and whatever. But I guess people thought that as he got older, they would iron, he would iron it out. Yeah, yeah, but surely even as a as a player yourself and you're a defender and you know that you need to you need to you have to be disciplined. There's not that many things you need to think about when you're playing, and you know it's just about focusing. And like we said, that line has to be right. You know you can't leave too much space between you and your left back or your right back, depending on what side you play of your center as a center half. It's not that complicated, is it? Really, I know it goes fast and it goes quick, and you play against very very good players. But surely the, 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 the basics of being disciplined and being well-drilled and well-organized, and you know, if we assume that they're working on that training, it's, I don't know, I, don't, I just don't understand how they can be so all over the place at the time. Let's talk Leicester because I looked at what they did over the summer and you know, I really liked the Harry Maguire signing and, and they, they hung on to Mares and Damari Gray. And I thought to myself, I thought Ibora also could at some point have an impact. But um, it's not really working for Shaky, is it? Not in terms of results. Oh, sorry, by the way, before I mention that, because I just mentioned Shaky, I, I saw this picture on, on Twitter. 
you know, we've seen those half and half scarves, and I'm assuming we all we all regularly buy half and half scarves. Yeah. It's one thing to have a half and half scarf with two teams. People were selling half and half scarves that's read Klopp Shakespeare. <laughs> now, I, no, I saw it on Twitter. I, I, I retweeted it. it. It was just, uh, in fact, it might have been Henry's tweet, actually. Um, maybe they were Henry's scarves. Henry loves a fan, fan pitch. Yeah. But I was thinking to myself, who would buy that? I, I, I could possibly understand if there was some sort of cosmic connection between Jurgen Klopp and Craig Shakespeare. But other than the fact they both sort of look like cartoon characters, uh, there isn't one. I don't think there's a there's a big Venn diagram of Liverpool fans and Leicester fans, is there? Which which, which overlaps. What what is the deal? I mean, you're talking to the wrong person. As as you probably know, I don't buy anything. I have my, my house is an, em, an empty shell. I have no memorabilia, no photographs, no scarves. So For those who don't know, you know, Hughesy is a little bit like Diogenes. You know, like he he lives in sort of the. Uh, the, the the far west London equivalent of uh, of a barrel, um, and is happy with his monk like uh, lifestyle. Uh, you, on the other hand, Julian, you've yep. never bought a half and half scarf, have you? Never. All right. Listen, if you are the owner of said Klopp Shakespeare scarf, please reach out to us because yep. I I really want to meet you. Um, <laughs> And know why, and, and just find out why. Exactly. Why did it, why exactly. We'll, 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 we'll do a special podcast delving into the psychology of people. We might even get Matthew Syed on, and uh, and I will I will happily take you to lunch uh, if you agree to be photographed with your Klopp Shakespeare half and half scarf. What's in the books for Lester? The results aren't good, but they have had some pretty horrific fixtures. A lot's been made of you know Palace's nightmare start. Obviously, they haven't scored. They've lost six games. But, and Everton start too. But, but you know Leicester. They've, been away at Arsenal and United, Chelsea and Liverpool at home. They've lost them all, but they've not been badly beaten in any of those games. They're not playing really. Badly, are they? They're not playing badly. They're scoring goals. Um, so I don't think, although they're obviously at the wrong end of the table, I wouldn't be too worried about them getting relegated. And I think over time um, they will start to pick up more points. No reason for Shaky to worry, Julian. You? I don't think so, but I would like to see Bora play a bit more, as you mentioned. You know, I, I think the Adrian Silva story was nothing to do with Shaky or the club, but it doesn't reflect well on your club anyway. And and clearly, if they felt the need of spending that money on him, is because they really felt they needed to strengthen in that position. And now, you know, maybe I don't know. Maybe King is not really. Is not the weakest link in their team, but I thought this weekend on Saturday it was really poor. And, you know, I think there was a lot of things that maybe they did right in the summer, but also a lot of things that, you know, could have been done better. And Yuzi is also right. You know, the fixtures will get easier, but that's now we're going to see what they're really made of, what Shaky is made of, if they can now start winning now that the fixtures are a bit more affordable. Now, this season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, as you well know, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every single game in the Premier League. That's 380 games, the Champions League, the Europa League, and the FA Cup. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Husey, what was your favourite goal of the weekend in the Premier League? Lots of good goals, actually, and I could have picked any of Maratta's, but I think I go for Maratta's first goal against Stoke, just... 
I love those sort of quick counter-attacks. Bakayoko started it off, and then a brilliant ball from Aspilicueta and a great great finish. They had the Muppet show in central defence. I mean, everybody's injured for Stoke. I mean, come on. Darren Bruno Martins in. Still, still, still a me? wonderful Darren ball Fletcher, from... Darren Fletcher playing <laughs> centre-half, and he looked like he never, he never played I, football before. I felt bad. I felt really bad. Have you no compassion? <laughs> have you no oh. sense of decency? Uh, Julian. I could have picked any of the city goals, I think, and I went for the first sterling one because I just thought I picked City last week as well. It's just I think the football they're playing right now is simply incredible. The sort of transition that you know they're not the only one to do, and we've seen we've seen Liverpool doing it as well. And but that goal where Palace have the ball, it's, they hoof the ball a bit, and then from there it's five passes, it's one touch, two touches maybe, and he ends up with Sane crossing the ball to Sterling. It's an easy tap in at the end, but the whole beauty is the whole movement and the, the just the, the, the way they play on the ball for the one who has the ball, off the ball for the other ten, you know, or nine outfit players who don't have the ball, all that movement is just, I think, is, is fantastic. Over at the London Stadium, so imaginatively named, uh, West Ham hosted Spurs. Um, it's a funny one for, for, for Tottenham because I thought, all right, this is going to get really, really ugly. They're going to score four or five. They could have scored four or five, but then they went way in the lead and then they, they sort of allowed West Ham to get back into it. What was up with that, Husey? I, th- I think they just thought the game was won and switched off, really. It was won. Aurier's... Um Decision making let him down, didn't help. But um, give a bit of credit to West Ham for um, battling back to, to pull two goals back. Julian, do we give credit to West Ham or do we find blame with with Tottenham? I was not keen on on West Ham's performance. I have to say, I'm not sure about Belich's choices again. We talked about him last week. He, at least he played Chicharito in the cent- in the middle this time. Um, but I don't know. And I thought Hughes is right. I think Spurs are three 0 up, cruising after an hour. Like you said, could have had five or six already. Fell asleep a little bit. There was a it was a set piece, three one, and then the red card obviously changes it all because suddenly you know you were kind of controlling the game at three one, but down to ten, it's harder. And then the crowd woke up, and then obviously Billish then made some changes as well, and so the end was a bit tense, I would say. But I thought for the first hour, Spurs looked fantastic, and West Ham looked so bad. And Spurs could have scored more as well. I mean, there was I remember Wednesday when, when Dale Ali. Took it himself when when Kane was wide open. Obviously, Kane hitting the woodwork. I look at West Ham and Jose Font and Winston Reid in particular. I mean, these guys. We remember Font being really, really good. I remember Duncan Castles talking about Font going to Manchester United. But remember, he was really good at Southampton. Really, really good. And Winston Reid, people think is really good as well. I was just so awful. Was it a case of Kane, Erickson, and Ali just making them? Look terrible, or I think Font Font's been pretty awful since he signed for West Ham. Mm. To be honest, ever since he sort of basically went on strike at Southampton and um, threw his toys out of the pram, that move just has not worked out. I look at this and I, I thought after after Carol Carol came on after for what like half an hour for Antonio, and I actually thought, all right, give him some some service that he can use. And and the great thing about Carol is when he's on there. You don't need to whip in a cross. You can float it in, and you can knock it down for a little quick guy like Chicharito. I saw very little of that. And as much as I like Billich and the rock star and it's cool and we all like him and he's, you know. But 
he's not doing well, is he? He's no. not good. And, and, and the, well, well, how did he lose his mojo? I don't know. I, it, I, I couldn't work them out. I have to say, I couldn't work them out on Saturday. That first goal they conceded, them trying to pass the ball the way they did in the center of the pitch, where they were clearly like, all over the place tactically, and Kuyate letting the ball go almost. It looked like. And then straight to Ericsson, who then obviously with Ali and, and, and Kane being there, Ericsson is just the, the wrong person you want to get that ball with free space, with the, the game ahead of him and picking the pass like he wanted to for, for Ali, then who had an easy cross. And, and it was an easy finish. It was a great header for, for Kane, but it was an easy finish anyway. It was, it was just so easy. And you're thinking like, either because they had a good record against Spurs, you know, at home before, maybe they thought, okay, we're going, but I don't know, I just think that they got it, they started wrong, they, the game plan was wrong, some of the players picked, I don't know, I, yeah, I was so not impressed by West Ham at home. Could he be the next manager to go? He could be, but I, I, I don't think he will be, I think he will cling on for the season and they'll, Probably finished 15, 14 for something. You don't like see them that. going down. Too I don't, I don't Too see them going down. Well, I think they'll have goals in them and they'll win some games at home. One thing about Bilic is um, it's easy to forget what a hard club West Ham is to work for. You know, the three people in the club are very, very public. I get your points. Like, does that really have much of an impact on, on Bilic's choices? He got the players he wanted in the summer and he also didn't get the one he didn't want. Like, you know, Renato Sanchez, for example, who they could have signed, and he said no. I'm not saying that it would have been a good thing this team. I'm just saying didn't that. Get William Carvalho, remember that? That's yeah, the... yeah, true. Maybe he didn't want him either. I don't know. But so, okay, they they they're different. Let's call them different for as a you know owners of a football club. But is that do you think that really has an impact on on his choices? He, you know, the way he coaches the team, the way. He seems to have still a lot of money to spend, and he did spend a lot of money in the summer. They bought some good players that you think again the other players he wanted in the first place: Arnautovic, Chicharito, all of that. So, I think recruitment's been a bit of a mess for eighteen months. If you go back to the previous summer, yeah. after the the season which they did so well, um, going into the new stadium, they, they didn't get recruitment right. And I just think it's it's hard to work there it's hard to do business hard to get the players you want and then it's even, made it even harder when you've got your boss selling off all the time so um obviously he's he's not tactically he doesn't appear to be doing a very very smart job i would accept that but um i, I think he'll limp to the end of the year like sam did before him and then they'll get someone else in but it does have make me have a lot more sympathy for for sam allardyce frankly just seeing what what billage is going through working with those people um Julian, a word on Spurs. Um, Sissoko in central midfield, sort of an emergency situation. He played all right, I thought. Does he seem more interested? Has he noticed that there's a World Cup coming up? And is he maybe like thinking, hmm, my he, games are on television. I'm in the Champions League. Maybe I can help myself here. No, or I'm no, being unkind. No, 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 no. I think you're right. There's, there's a part of that with Musa. He, he works a lot on his motivation and his desire. And, and also, I do think, if you play him in the right position, he helps like for every everyone. But he was dropped with, by by Deschamps uh, for France, which I think, like you said, is a, has been a wake up call for him. Thinking like there's a World Cup. I, I went to the Euros. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know how he got there and how he played that much, but he did. And he's thinking we have a, such a good generation for France that you know you might miss a, a World 
cup winning team you know you know winning competition maybe so i think that's helped and, and i think he cleared the air with pochettino there's there's no doubt about that they had a big chat uh, because last year obviously they had a lot of tension between them and i think when he played like he plays on saturday and again it was easier because west ham was so poor in midfield i thought but He's a real asset, but you have to play him in the right position and 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 uh, you know and ask him to do things that he can do. Don't you know? Don't ask him to do things that Dele Alli can do or Ericsson can do because Sissoko can't do that. But if you ask him to stay in what he knows how to do, then I think it would it would be very helpful for you through the season. He's a reliable player when he knows what to do when when he feels that you trust him, where you like him, and is in confidence. Then then you have that kind of display. It's not going to do him much good with when Dembele and Wanyam are fit and he's going to go back to watching them from the bench though, right? Yeah, but you know, we know he, he can. He will, st- he will still have a role to play if he wants to. That's the thing. And last season, the big problem was that Posh thought he doesn't want to train, he's not training well enough, he's not committed, he's not... And it just can't happen at this level. Um, final point on this before we uh, move on. Um, Serge Aurier, did we kind of get like a little uh, uh, little nugget as to why somebody who is so talented uh, has has issues? Exactly, and you know what? They were warned. I warned them. I warned everybody. He, yeah, but you warned them about periscoping and doing things like still, that, not no, about like crazy. No, I said he was a loose cannon on the pitch as well, and those kind of things. And if for the people who've seen the game or watched the highlights, there's that scene straight after the red card where Chicharito is on the touchline drinking a bottle of water and Pochettino is standing next to him and Chicharito says something to Pochettino and Pochettino is like shaking his head going like and he looks on his face he looks like why but why why would you go and put a tackle in like this already on a yellow and and you can just imagine the chat where Chicharito says to Pochettino that guy, that was crazy this guy is crazy why why and Pochettino goes like I've got no clue why but I don't even know why we and that's that's him and he's a lovely guy he's you know he's, he's so talented and so strong and so good sometimes and then such a loose cannon as well maybe he'll be another reclamation uh, project for, uh, for, the, for Pochettino because if you get his yeah. head straight he's exactly and that was my point and you and we do quick if he learns but he hasn't learned he's 24 he hasn't learned He's never learned so far, but it's not too late, I guess. But if he start learning, then, then I think the, the, there's no limit for him. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
This past week saw the dismissal uh, of, um, I think it's fair to say, probably the second most high-profile person at the FA, outward looking. And I say this because I know what Mark Sampson looks like. I obviously know what Gareth Southgate looks like. I don't know that I would recognize Martin Glenn if he walked down the street. Mark Sampson came under uh, came under fire from two members of the uh, women's national team. I guess former members of women's national team. One is is Zenia Luko. The other one is Drew Spence. This is over comments that he made, which they alleged uh, were were racially tinged or perhaps inappropriate. So Sampson was already under a ton of fire, but this is not why he's been sacked. Um, he was sacked owing to issues dating back at his previous job at a place called Bristol Academy, which is actually a a women's team, where he apparently engaged in behavior that was um, inappropriate. What was the other word? Inappropriate and what? Unacceptable. Oh, sorry. Behavior. Thank you, Husey. Behavior that was inappropriate and unacceptable and dealt with the boundaries between player and coach, but he didn't break the law, which Martin Glenn told us. And for that reason, he's gone. Now, Martin Ziegler, of course, who who joins us, has been reporting this for a long time, um... If this happened at Bristol Academy and he left Bristol Academy in 2013, I know the wheels of justice sometimes move slowly, but why was he sacked now? There was an anonymous letter in um, shortly after he'd, he'd taken over as England head coach about inappropriate behaviour, alleging inappropriate behaviour, which was sent to the FA in 2014. Then the review took place, lasted almost a year, so March 2015, up to. And then that said, that sort of said that he wasn't a risk, but he had to go on a training course. Now, um, that, that seemed to be that, but when all this furor over Aluto um, came up, that's when the it was suggested that the powers that be at the FA should look at the full report of the investigation, which none of them had ever seen, apparently, and that contained the details which led Martin Glenn and Greg Clark, the FA chief executive and chairman, to say, that his position was untenable and he had to be. He had to go. You, you may quite uh, understandably ask, why did this not happen two years ago when the full report came out? And I think that is the FA's biggest problem on this. I believe Martin Glenn said he became aware of this in October 2015. Martin Glenn was hired by the FA in, uh, uh, in March 2015, took over in May 2015. So in October, he finds out, oh, look, the second most high-profile outward-facing FA employee had these these allegations made about him, and there's a report. But I don't need to look at the report. I don't really need to worry about this because somebody else before me um, has already looked at this. And I'm going to sit on my hands and not look at the report. And then 2016 comes and goes. There's the whole Anya Luco case, which I presume Martin Glenn knew about. I presume Martin Glenn was part of the process. Uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong at any time if I see something that's not true. So at this stage, he knows that people are making allegations, that there's there's issues of bullying. He still either doesn't remember that he's been subjected to this report before and there's this report, and he still decides he doesn't need to read the report. And he still doesn't need the report when the these things in the summer of 2017, when there's the, there's the, 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 the piece originally, I think, in the Daily Mail with Sam Cunningham, and then everybody else kind of jumps on the bandwagon, Samson comes under fire. He still doesn't bother to say, hey, what's this Samson guy all about? Should I go read that report when my predecessors hired him and went through his life with a fine-tooth comb about all these allegations? Nah, that's all right. I have more important things to do. He still doesn't do it. And then he only reads it last week. And the minute he reads the report, he freaks out and says, oh my God, this guy has to go. 
and then he puts it to the the the, the rest of the FA bigwigs, and they rubber stamp it after England beat uh, Russia six 0 in a qualifier. I mean, is this accurate? A and B. If it is, how can he possibly justify? not even taking any interest in this report, which he knows exists and he knows concerns one of his employees. I think that, that you, you, should, you should be asking the questions on the select committee when they sit uh, next month. Oh, uh, yeah, my, because, my, my main man, Damien Collins, will be doing that. Well, you can feed in the questions <laughs> in that case because uh, yeah, these, these, are, these, uh, uh, these are exactly the sort of questions he's going to be facing. I don't know, but I imagine he will say that due to the sort of confidentiality and HR approach at the time that it was the safeguarding people who carried out the investigation stipulated that the report wasn't to be made available to anybody else. Um, not even the chief executive of the organization well, who employs well, him? There are suggestions that the, that the head of safeguarding did not make the report available to anybody. The FAs spoke to a lot of people last week and they were saying it was incredibly hard to get information out of those two people about Mark Sampson. Out of the head of safeguarding and the head yeah. of HR? Yeah. Um, I don't understand. And I, I do, actually. I, I have a, bit, a degree of sympathy for Glenn about the way he acted in October 15, because if you're told it's been dealt with by your predecessor, can you go back and, you know, retrospectively punish him? I, I don't think that's what he's done now, but I think the initial action was was understandable. What, here, I what, what is wrong is what the FA have totally messed up is the Aluko Spence inquiry allegations uh, and when that they kicked off they really should have gone back and done, they've done, done this much much earlier obviously there was a problem because for his own education right i mean martin glenn has to go and decide how he's going to react to the aluko investigation and, and whatever else right yeah. since dan ashworth apparently you know he, he becomes a hologram when 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 the going gets tough with his with the people he hired um martin glenn has to step up he knows this thing is there. I don't. I don't understand. Why can't he go to the head of HR and say, "I'm sorry. Why do you get to read this report and I don't?" When I run this place, how about I find a new head of HR? It's a freaking safeguarding. Safe. I mean, the, the, the name even implies it. Safeguarding. This stuff is important. Even if he can't act on it, but then, as you said, he eventually did act it on it. Wouldn't he want to just for his own education about the sort of people he's dealing with, people who were hired by his predecessors, right? When you can raise a stink when you're not allowed to do that, well, what's the point of him being, he's the chief exec, he's the boss, right? What's the point of being boss if you've got all these people in your organization who then tell you what you can and cannot do? Yeah, I think you're right. You should have done it over, you should have done it when the Aluko thing first read its head a year ago, which you didn't. My only point is that I can understand why he didn't immediately go raking around uh, dusty files on his appointment. Do we know who this head of safeguarding is? Sue Ravenlaw. She's been on the FA for the best part of 20 years. I'm assuming she won't be speaking anytime soon. I don't think she will be speaking anytime soon at all. Um, I think that the whole sort of issue of safeguarding confidentiality is, is people who maybe get too carried away by the confidentiality need when actually the only person they need really to maintain confidentiality about is, is the sort of alleged, you know, complainant. So maybe that's one issue. I mean, I think you know, Glenn himself said he very much regrets not. Um, making a decision to demand that report in October 2015. So, you know, it's a matter of deep regret to him. So, Just so we're clear on this, Spartan, and I want to be kind of careful here. Um, Samson has been cleared. The conclusion is that he's been sacked by the FA, so he can't coach the the women's team. Um, but they didn't pass any judgment on whether he couldn't rock up at another football club and coach tomorrow. 
they were very clear in saying that no laws had been broken. When people talk about safeguarding and the uh, and sort of the, the coach player relationship, it brings to mind the worst possible thing in people's heads because we just simply don't know. And we're not even allowed to speculate about what it might be. And it might be stuff that might appear more innocent to a lot of people. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that there's a broad spectrum of offenses here in terms of yeah. not being deemed fit in, for, from yeah. a safeguarding perspective, yeah. well, right? I, mean, I, can tell, I, I can tell you what we know about, about Samson. There's nothing illegal. Um, there was a complaint that he, he had a sexual relationship with a player who was aged around 18 while he was coach, which there's nothing illegal about that. And there is a sort of code in sport that, that if coaches have a uh, have a relationship with, with anybody, then it, it needs to be sort of declared and people made aware of it. So there's no suggestion of any sort of... Um, Pressure being put on 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 the on the player or the the athlete because in the sort of coach player relationship it can be a tricky one so that that's why these things have to be done sort of in the public eye and the thing with Samson is that there, according to um, Greg Clark that this wasn't just one isolated case there was a, there was at least one other case as well as Matt wrote on, on Saturday's paper I would be amazed if there's not an uh, unfair dismissal claim from Mark Samson because. You can't be cleared of... I don't think an organisation can clear you at one time and then for exactly the same thing. Sack you two years later for exactly the same thing. I mean, so that's, that seems like an obvious unfair dismissal claim. Matthew Syed, writing in, in the game on Monday, he, he makes the point that there's a failure of due process here. Uh, uh, a little bit has happened uh, with, uh, with Sam Allardyce. Obviously, remember Sam Allardyce and, you know, the keynote speaker, the pint of wine, Scott McGarvey, the sting, all that nonsense. He thinks that basically there's a problem here because there's, you know, the, the media get their panties in a twist. There's a witch hunt, but people are prejudged. In fact, if I'm quoting, if I'm, if I'm quoting him, justice requires that guilt is established before the verdict, not afterwards. The FA claims that it only belatedly realizes the significance of the safeguarding issues already on file. I struggle to believe this, like almost everyone else. My sense is that they reached a verdict they had prejudged. In short, they had caved to yet another witch hunt. Is Syed correct? I'm not sure they caved to a witch hunt. I think they might. I mean, there's a, there's a sort of a view that um, it was a convenient way to, to get rid of a problem. But Martin Glenn denied it at his press conference. They made mistakes not looking at this, not looking at this report. When they went back to look at it, and they read it, and they just thought, you know, if this ever, if this comes out, then we're all dead meat. If it then comes out that he had all these warnings about the about these inappropriate, unacceptable relationships were there, and they didn't do anything about it at the time for whatever reason, they have to do it now because otherwise it's uh, it'll be a total disaster. I must have missed this witch hunt and the mob because although it's been a high-profile story, there's only really been a couple of journalists that have been sort of all over it, and their information is come from some fairly um you know partial sources shall we say so um I, I don't think they've caved to public pressure no one we no one really no one knew about this we got this email last wednesday and it kind of came out of the blue i think martin's analysis is sound they just thought this is another problem we have to we have to kind of lance the boil and they did so in quite a cynical and slightly cack-handed way final point martin what are this guy's prospects i mean would he be, would he be better off switching to the men's game at this stage is he is he going to be persona non grata is he i mean are his coaching services now lost to football forever i know he's he's been cleared to coach again in the women's game but but do you think he becomes toxic and nobody 
uh, is going to is going to hire him, or is this something that he can move on from? Well, I, I think it's really, really, you know, really, really difficult for him to get another job again. I mean, it's an absolute. Uh, what about in the men's know? game? Well, maybe, maybe somebody at a sort of non-league club. I can't see him getting another job in the in the women's game. That's for sure. Obviously, not in the next six months. But from a few people I spoke to last week, there just seems to be a lot of sympathy for him in women's football, players, coaches, whatever. And I would say this sort of issue of relationships with players and, and boundaries and judgments, it doesn't seem to be totally unusual in, in women's football. I don't think he's the only manager who's had a relationship with a player, put it like that. Uh, the difference is that now whoever appoints him is going to have a massive media circus on their hands and they will not be equipped to cope with it. They probably won't want all that hassle. Right, enough of that. How about everybody's favourite bit of the show, some quick hits. Manchester United have to roll up their sleeves to overcome Southampton, but eventually they get it done as Mourinho gets sent to the stands. Husey, you want to opine about uh, Mourinho sending off or maybe just uh, talk about how it was a workmanlike performance against uh, a good Southampton team? Well, the sending off seemed harsh, but his reaction to it was just ludicrous and petulant as ever going around. What about him talking uh, about the heat and the weather? That was that was also <laughs> bizarre. I mean, Manchester is a bit colder than South the South Africa. Coast, but still, you'd have thought that his you know globally recruited squad could cope with 24 degrees. But it was only hot <laughs> for them, not for Southampton. <laughs> Correct. Um, I thought it was a good defensive performance, really. Southampton were unfortunate. They dominated last half hour, but it was classic sort of Jose, six at the back, low block, all that kind of stuff. But Southampton, I think, a lot better than people than they're, people realise. Better than their results have suggested, yes. Tough day for your mate Roy Hodgson as City stomp all over Crystal Palace. Uh, Julian, are there any individuals you'd like to pick out or perhaps simply answer the question of whether they are the best team in Europe right now? Yeah, I think they're unstoppable at times. Don't give me the whole R, oh, but Palace did well for 14 minutes. They were, they, they were not. She could have skipped past. Okay, one counter-attack they had with Lofsuchik who hits the point. And then for the, the rest of the time, City were just waiting to find an opening somewhere, find the space. They, they did it with an incredible goal by Sunny. I just think they're unstoppable. And yeah, they're still a bit shaky probably defensively when they would play against a better team and they're still a bit exposed defensively maybe. But my word, they were so good. Alvaro Morata, a player with whom you've got tons in common, nabs a hat-trick as Chelsea win 4-0 at Stoke. Uh, Husey, some doubted him. Were you among the doubters? And are you now convinced? Um, I'm not sure... People doubted him, really, did they? I oh, mean, come on, he's always too soft for the Premier League. They should have got Lukaku, blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, the manager thought that as well, so <laughs> I think that point still stands. I've been really impressed how quickly he's adapted. He's clearly a wonderful footballer. I've been surprised, actually, at how good his sort of touch is and how well he holds the ball up. One thing I would say was, not saying he's soft, but against Arsenal last week, when nothing was really happening, he didn't really sort of impose himself and make things happen in the way that Costa occasionally did. So I think he might need to sort of become more aggressive to play in that team because if him and Hazard don't score goals, Chelsea are going to really struggle. So he's got a huge role. Brighton overcome Newcastle in a battle of promoted sides, just as it looked as if Rafa was getting the ball rolling. And yeah, he can complain about uh, what appeared to be a stomp on DeAndre Yedlin's head. Are you... Feeling a sympathy for, for for Rafa now that you know things are rolling a little. Yeah, no, I do, I do. I, th- I think it was a foul on the goal and on the EMA goal, and and I think that I thought they played well. I thought they put a lot of pressure towards the end. I think there was that 
John Joe Shelby's corner, for example, that was very clever from him. That could have made a difference. But I, 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 you know, if I was a Newcastle fan, I would be quite encouraged by the performance that they're putting in. It's not easy, obviously, and I, and I think they could have done with more strengthening in the summer. But but I thought they were well organized. I thought they were disciplined. They were serious, and they they were being lucky to lose that match. I'm just curious. Anybody remember the last time somebody scored directly from a corner where they hit the ball low like that, the way Shelby did? I, I don't think I've ever seen it before. Do you think he actually thought like I'm going to try this or? Yeah, surely. It just seemed like such an odd thing to. I mean, more power to him. <laughs> he yeah, really scored, but, but you know, it's, it's like those free kicks that you take on purpose under the wall because you you think they're going to jump. jump. Yeah. Everton beat Bournemouth to get their first win after three straight defeats. But Wayne Rooney, this is really not his year. Um, he's furious after an errant Simon Francis elbow leaves him with a bloody face. Now. It was really, really ugly, and we get back to the usual thing. Well, how are you supposed to jump without using your arms and blah, blah, blah? Nothing was given. Rooney not happy. Was it the right call? Is it just one of those risks of playing football that a Simon Francis might go and inadvertently smack you in the eye? And No, I think you've got to duty your care to protect the players. You can't get let elbows, even if they're accidental, go unpunished so you know I think he should have been booked at the very very least right, so you have some sympathy for yeah for Wazza it's three away wins in a row for Watford this time they overcome Swansea 2-1 uh, Julian any clever theories about why they're so good on the road and uh, can it continue yeah I think it can continue I think Marco Silva we mentioned there on on the pod a lot I think he's, he's very good he used to have that incredible home record in there and struggling away from home and, and this time it's a bit different I think they set up team yeah, different team. And, and the way they set up as well is perfect. I think Andre Gray is great to play on the counter-attack when you go away from home. And I think they will struggle a bit more at home than away this season, which is quite interesting to see. Also, was it Alfie Mawson, who I think mm. had perhaps his worst game that I've ever seen him play? Yeah. I mean, that's not going to happen again, right? No, no, no. And it better not because he's in my football fantasy team or my son's football fantasy team. So I was disappointed in you, Alfie. Gab, one for you. Juventus win the Turin Derby 4-0, but Gonzalo Higuain gets left on the bench. Given how much he costs, what was Max Allegri thinking? I think he was thinking that uh, Higuain doesn't look in tremendous shape right now. And, um, you know, he did come on as a sub, but he's not been playing particularly well. But I think the main thing is Allegri feels super confident in himself and the power that he has, that he can go and drop Higuain, knowing that if things don't go according to plan he's going to get it. It's a funny one with Juventus this year because they have so many different options, so many different ways of playing. But sometimes when you've got too much choice, um, it can actually complicate matters and, and take you longer to uh, uh, to go and find the way you want to play. That said, while Dybala's on this level, everything's going to be fine. Where are you, sorry, on the Dybala's bandwagon? Are you on the incredible talent and will do better in big games when he gets you know more experience and, and all of that? Or it disappoints you that he still can't do it yet, as in the big, big games? I'm still a little disappointed. I thought, you know, I think he needs to figure out how to approach it. Obviously, what you saw in Cardiff with the with the early card clearly affected him. And, you know, it's not a mystery. The last two times that they played Real Madrid and Barcelona, he went missing. That said, against Barcelona in the Champions League, when he got slaughtered, you were actually really good, I thought. In, in the first half, it was really close. And then it's just that, you know, that, that freak of nature, you know, Messi takes over and makes everybody look bad. And then all of a sudden you're you're losing and you're scrambling and, and then Dybala disappeared. I think the less people start comparing Dybala to the other small left-footed 
Argentine player, the better. Hello, Charlie Scott here with Paddy Bear to discuss how the sweeper got on, which is the Times' fantasy football tip service. I was away last week standing myself in France and Paddy did fantastically in my absence. Uh, a few of his tips had some very healthy rewards. Paddy? Yes, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I sincerely hope everyone was listening last week. In our Monday recap, we told you to hang on to Kane and Ericsson, who combined for 22 points. We told you if you're looking for City players, make it Aguero and David Silva, who also combined for 22 points. Cesar Piliqueta was the best tip of the week, who picked up 14 points for Chelsea as they waltz past Stoke City and at some better prices Phil Jones for Man United 9 points Tammy Abraham with 8 for Swansea and uh, we suggested that Burnley's defence might be a smart place to look starting with Ben Mee at 4.5 million they picked up a clean sheet and the whole Burnley defence looks uh, looks worth investing in going forward you've got James Tarkowski at the back with him Stephen Ward um, and in goal Pope is uh, stepping into Tom Heaton's shoes quite nicely uh, we also saw Philip Coutinho score 13 points if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we came up with three replacements for Sadio Mane during his suspension. They were Christian Eriksen, Matt Ritchie and Coutinho himself. And it's nice to see that in the past two weeks, they've all come up with some nice double-figure returns. So uh, hopefully everyone cashed in on that and hopefully uh, we'll have some similar luck next weekend. Don't forget, you can sign up to the sweeper at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football. And in this week's email, we will have the question which we'll be asking to win two tickets to the Graham Souness Times Plus event which is in Glasgow. So make sure you've signed up for the sweeper by this Friday when we'll be sending the email full of hints and tips as well as that all important question. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my excellent guests Julian Lawrence, Matt Hughes making it on his seasonal debut but you'll be back, right? Certainly. Alrighty. And of course, down the line, taking time off from his holiday because he's so dedicated. It's the incomparable Martin Ziegler. Remember, it's just eight pounds for an eight-week trial. Just search the Times online and you can subscribe to our newspaper and have access to all our excellent content and not just that, but the Sunday Times as well. In addition to that, you can access highlights of every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, and from the third round, the FA Cup as well, the greatest cup competition in the world. We're going to be back next Monday after Chelsea host Manchester City and uh, perhaps we'll find out just how good Pep Guardiola's team really is. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times head to thetimes.co.uk